Good morning. I'm surprised y'all came back. Thank you. Wow. Do you can be open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, if you so desire. However, you brought your Bible. It took me a while to get used to people with electronic Bibles. I almost used to fuss at people for looking at their phones while I was trying to preach, but then I realized that's your Bible now. So uh, I'm still a kind of a, I'm a, a leather and paper guy, but uh, uh, that's okay. You, as long as you're getting to the text, I'm happy. Well, y'all glad to be here? Amen. Amen. Good. I'm glad to be here t- as well. It is great to see you guys. Uh, we were here two weeks ago, obviously, and uh, uh, we went home and uh, the first Day back on Monday, our daughter said, uh, well, we'd like to have a celebratory supper. And so they made supper, and we, we were all together. And then she wrote us the next morning on text, said, did anybody get sick? And uh, we said, no. And she said, I feel like I got really ill, you know. And uh, so we shrugged it off. And then Wednesday, I said, oh, my goodness. And uh, I got sick. And then by the next uh, weekend, and Janice got sick. So we... We passed it through. So we're glad to be back, feeling good. Not he- we're healthy now, not contagious. And, uh, and just super glad to see you guys. You know, uh, what does that mean over there? The power of one. What does that mean? I, I, I know why it's there. I understand a little bit of the background, why it's there. Uh, what is that? Well, what does power mean? Let's start there. When I pause, I mean, do you interact? What? Does nobody in all these crowd know what the word power means? Strength, okay, strength. It's energy, strength. It's the use of energy and strength. Uh, it, it can be. It can be kinetic or uh, it, it can be uh, uh, stationary or, or, or whatever. But, but yeah, it, 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 there's a strength there. There's a power there. There's, well, I can't use the same word, can I? There's an energy there to be released. But what does one mean? Means One. Are you sure? I, I, don't want, I don't want to pull a politician and say, well, it depends on what your definition of is. But does it mean one singular? Or, or oh, it means a unity. Well, I, I would assume, uh, or I would think that that, that that is how we mean it, right? We don't mean just the power of one person, or do we? Wait a minute. Well, Ephesians 4, that's where we're going here. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see a little bit of that. And I, I plan to preach through the book of Ephesians. First book I'm going to preach on. And I'll tell you why. is because it's about the church. And, and, you know, a lot of different commentators look at this a lot of different ways. We're going to kind of look at it in two parts. First three chapters, and we're not starting there today. I'm jumping to chapter 4. And I'm going to briefly cover a whole bunch of verse, verses. And I know you already know me well enough to know the word briefly might be irrelevant. But I promise... I'm going to try to make that relevant today because I'm going to back up to chapter 1 and we're going to go straight through the book. And I promise you, we get back to chapter 4, it's going to take about 10 weeks to get through what I'm going to go through today, all right? But uh, I just want to hit a couple of high things just sort of to set the tone. But the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians lays a theological groundwork, the why, if you will, of the church having purposes such as worship and ministry and evangelism, and fellowship, and discipleship, and, and also of prayer. The, the book of Ephesians lays that groundwork, and beginning in chapter 4, and though that's not my point today, but beginning in chapter 4, it turns to the practical, how do you apply those first three 
chapters. And I, I just want to lay that out there so, so you understand. That's why it starts off with, I therefore. Uh, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you look to see what it's there for, right? And so it's there for the first three chapters. But, but as I'm looking at that word about unity today, I think of the Proverbs, go the ant, you sluggard. I, I don't know how bad the ants are here. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, where you got to be careful. Uh, our Sunday school teacher this morning used the example of a crocodile. You ever seen a crocodile, man? No, I didn't think so. Okay. I've, been, I've been on top of alligators in a rowboat, so I, I, I know a little bit what you're talking about there. But, uh, but yeah, man, we got fire ants. You can't let your kids go out barefoot without being careful. You get, get eat up, stung up. Those ants, that looks like millions of them. I'm sure it's hundreds at least, uh, maybe even thousands but they work as a unit. They work together for that colony. My, my brother-in-law, a couple of years ago, he, he decided he wanted to keep bees. So now he has these beehives in his yard. And, and I'm not a beekeeper. It fascinates me. Looks like too much work, so I don't think I'll do it. But, but uh, it, it's a fascinating thing. And, and he began to explain the life cycles of bees. And, you know, and, and he's showing me this hive and how it works. And understanding that that whole hive is there just to keep the queen happy. Now, not technically. A bee, I don't think, can be happy. I'm not weird like that. But, but to keep her fed, to keep her producing new bees, and to feed the hive. And so what, we, what they do is they make a layer that takes care of that, and then they make a couple of layers for us to rob so we can get some of the overflow and the honey but he he sat there as he started this whole process and he's filming these beehives as the bees come in and out and explain he says watch this i didn't even see it when i was filming it i i guess he used an ipad or something. i don't even know what he filmed it with looked like one of those uh you know a cable tv you know nature shows how he had it done he said look this wasp is trying to get into the hive and this then sure enough this wasp was trying to go in and the bees started swarming it and coming at it. And one bee finally grabbed it and pulled it off of the hive. And that wasp stung him as the bee took him out. And then he said, look at the bee. And the the bee got stung, was laying there quivering as it was dying. All for the sake of the hive. But it's thousands of bees in that thing. But it's the power of of the hive. Yeah. So you... Being many members, can you quote the rest, are one body, yeah. We, we see that in Scripture, don't we? And here in chapter 4 of Ephesians, he kind of, as I said, lays some ideas of that. And so I've called today's sermon the power of one because I want us to see what that means. And it means all of us in unison together, but it also means in a sense, a singular thing, because the Bible goes on to talk about some other things that are multiple persons, but one thing, like marriage. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall be, Jesus said, you're one flesh. Now, why did God say that? Because he was making a picture of who he is. And how many persons does God exist? Three, right? According to what we know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are, yet they are three. And so in Ephesians, we'll see if when we go through it, we get to chapter 5, 
He talks about the husband and wife. He says, this is a great mystery, but I'm talking about Jesus and the church. That we are one in him. <clears throat> and we are one together. Mike, I don't know, if, Pastor Mike, I don't know if you drink out of this or not, but we can share germs. I don't care, okay? It says Coke on it, so I like that glass. But anyway, and so we see this oneness in marriage as a picture of the oneness of who God is. And we'll kind of see that as we go through the Bible together. That, you know, a lot of times we hear God made us because, because he wanted fellowship with us. God was content by himself. He had fellowship with himself. He made us because he so loved. He just did it. To have an object of his affection. That's why we have children. Our love for each other. And we have children and show them the affection, the love that we've been Given and we, 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 we begin to grasp that and understand it. And so here's a phrase I, I want to give you today. I, I don't know how meaningful it might be to you, but I hope you hold on to it. And it's that God expects us to exist and to operate and to be a community of one. He wants us to be a community of one. That we're together. Now in this passage, and, and why don't I just read it and that, that way I can get to talking about y'all want to stand up it's 16 verses i'm going to read i know it's a lot and like i said i'm going to just talk about three topics i'm not going to exegete the whole passage i therefore verse one a prisoner for the lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace there's one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one uh, who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is, uh, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Would you bow with me in prayer for a moment? Father God, in Jesus' name, we approach your throne to say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming and dying for us. Thank you for making us one in Christ. Thank you for bringing salvation to your church, to your people. And that, Lord, may we indeed understand the power that you have placed within the church through the Holy Spirit, through the purpose and, and, and desires of the Heavenly Father, that you won that victory for us, Christ, and gave it to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so today we pray, Father, you be glorified. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus, and we pray it in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, I pray today that people will be saved. Lord, at least 10 people will be saved. And Lord, if, if not in this service, we don't see 10 saved, that your church will go out in the community this week and because of their witness, at least 10 people will be saved. Lord, we pray that you bring in the people that you want to be a part of the ministry of Calvary so that, uh, Lord, we might go forth with your will and your direction to do and accomplish your will in this world. Lord, we love you. We pray for right now that you just anoint uh, uh, the word, that you anoint my lips and my tongue, that I'd only say what you would have me say, and that, God, uh, that we would be changed for having been here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Y'all can sit down if you want to, if you can stand it. First thing I want to see is that, that we are one in portion. I, I called it portion because I, I'm, I'm old-fashioned. I'm trying to give an alliterated outline, so the other two are P's as well. But what I mean by that, as we begin in verse 1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Do you catch that? Worthy of the the calling. We are to live a worthy lifestyle as we live together. I, I, I was sharing in, in, in the, I think the Sunday school class this morning, but uh, I read a, a great thing this past couple of weeks in a devotion since I left you guys. It really hit me. Uh, uh, and, and in it, the guy was used as, as, as an example the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan. Anybody see that movie? Y'all saw the movie? Yeah, at the end of the movie, the story, if you didn't see it, is they send a ranger battalion to rescue this one guy uh, because he's the last surviving brother. It's in World War II. And uh, they don't want this family to have lost all their sons. So they go to save this one kid, get him out of the war, and send him home so that the, the mom won't have lost all her sons. Now, all the guys in the ranger battalion think it's a foolish mission. They, they don't really like doing it. And at the end of it, as, as every person in that rescue, that rescue patrol, whatever, uh, is, has, has died, as the last one is dying, the leader, there's Private Ryan over him, and he looks at him and he says, make this count. Make it worth it. And as I read this illustration, I was like, oh, I know what he's going to say. Jesus died on a cross for us, and he looks at us and says, make this count. But instead, the guy writing the devotion said this, but when we turn to Christ dying on a cross, we don't hear the words, make it count. We hear the words, it is finished. You see, we can't add to what Jesus did. Can you make his works on the cross better? No, it's done. But he commands us to walk in a manner worthy of what he's done. You see the difference? You say, well, that difference may, is subtle. Well, it, 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 in a sense, it is subtle. But it's this. I don't do you know, the good works, the things that I'm called to do, so that I can be better, that I can make what Christ did better. I did it because he is better. You with me? Because Jesus has already finished the work, and if I call on his name, if I claim his name, then I ought to walk in a manner like he did. Worthy of him. And so that begs the question, how did he walk? Well, he forgave, didn't he? Have you ever been hurt by anybody? Have you ever been really hurt? Y'all quiet now because you're scared to admit it. You add into your sin by lying. You want to hold... You see, I, 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 my grandmother was pretty much full-blooded Irish. 
And so I know what Irish Alzheimer's is. I don't know if you know what that is or not. That's when you forget everything but the grudge. All right? And you just hang on to it. I've seen that. I've seen that in my family. I've seen it in my own heart. And one time I, I, I expressed some unforgiveness. And my wife, you know, we, we, I've heard somebody say, well, what goes around comes around. My wife said, yeah, it sounds like Jesus on the cross. Now on the cross we hear, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. We see the first martyr of the church as they're picking up stones to kill him, say, don't, don't lay this sin to their charge. Well, that's against people that are trying to kill us. That's against people that want to do us harm. Y'all can't forgive each other in here? You can't forgive the guy on the other side of the church or the lady? I also mentioned the book of Galatians this morning in Sunday school. Do you just want to turn back two pages in your Bible there? In Galatians 5, he gives a list of different sins. He talks about sexual sins, uh, beginning in verse uh, 19, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. He talks about using a, a wrong religion, whether it be Islam or Mormonism or Jehovah Witness or anything else, idolatry, sorcery. And then... There's a list that Baptist preachers skip over because they're all Baptist sins. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy. Doesn't that sound like a Baptist business meeting? Maybe not in this church, but I've been in churches where it did. And then he goes on to talk about indulging in our appetites but here's the scary words. Those who do things like these, I warn you, I warn you before, that those that do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wait, I'm saved. I thought once I was saved, I was always saved. You are. But if you're living a lifestyle of unforgiveness and ha- anger and hatred and wrath, then it shows that you have not accessed the grace of God in your life. To forgive. I did, a, I did a day-long study on this one time. Just because I needed to understand it. And I'll tell you the passage that got me. Jesus said, if you won't forgive others their sins against you, your Heavenly Father won't forgive your sins. There was no except in the case of after that. There was a period. I was like, hmm, that's rough. If I'm going to walk in a manner worthy of Christ, not only do I have to forgive, I have to help restore my brothers and sisters, right? Jesus didn't die on the cross for grins and giggles. He died on the cross to restore us back into relationship with, Christ, with God the Father, right? Doesn't mean we're perfect. You say, well, what? You're talking about those sins and I slip. I know, but when you are faced with your sin, do you repent or do you just continue in them? You see, the Christian always repents and comes back to God and says, you're right, I'm wrong I need to be different. I need to look like Jesus. We need to walk in that manner worthy of him. And the grace of God does more than saves us. It empowers us. We have the power of Christ in our life to live the life of Christ. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. And the life I live now in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? And so, we have... We are one together in the portion that God has given us to live a life worthy as we live together. And we ought to live to help heal each other, right? 
I mean, the point of all of it is that we might encourage and, and spur each other into the image of Christ and to look like him. And, and even if I have to sit down with a brother or sister and say, look, here's what God is saying about what you're doing there. It is with the idea of forgiveness and restoration and healing. Not of, oh, God's going to get you. <laughs> but isn't that how we think of it? Wasn't there a good country song, God's going to get you for that? No, God got Jesus for that. It says in Isaiah, it pleased him, to please God to bruise him for my sin and my transgression. So when I am face to face with my sin, I see the penalty of my sin as the cross. And I fall on my face in humility before God and say, forgive me. As I can now forgive others because you forgave me. So we, we live as the least of these as we live with each other. If you turn to Philippians, the book after Ephesians, and you look in chapter 2 and verse 3, the Bible says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. In other words, every person in here is more important than me. You get that? There's nobody in here more important than I am. Or I'm not more important than anybody in here is what I meant to say. Everybody in here. Everybody in here is more important than me. There's no one in here that I am more important than is what I meant to say. Y'all forgive me. Sorry about that. Edit that tape, brother, would you? All right. Brother Hampshire, I saw him in the interim time. He asked me the Funny, the weirdest thing I ever said from the pulpit, and I'm not even going to repeat it here, but it wasn't that bad. But every once in a while, the Bible says in speaking many words, there lacks not sin, so we mess up occasionally. Listen, that's what if, uh, Philippians tells us, to count other people as more significant. I, I know if you've got King James, it says esteem others as better than yourself. That doesn't mean that they're a better person. It means you count them as worthy of more honor, as worthy of more everything. And that we do what we do because we're like Christ. And so we live in the unity of the Spirit as we live together. So we have the same heart. Now I want to address this word unity because I'm going to bring it up again. Unity is not unison. Okay, the choir just sang, for I know our Redeemer lives. And I see the sections and I, I think the altar sopranos down here, is that right? I'm used to the altos being over here. So, and y'all are the altos then and... I can't tell by looking or listening. Y'all tenors or bass down here? Bass over here and tenors over there. At least four parts. They just sang that song in unity, not in unison. They sang four different parts. They sang different notes going in different directions. If you saw it written on a piece of paper, if you don't know music, you'd think, wow, that's a jumble mess. But when you put it together with the instruments and the singers, it makes one beautiful song. God has called us to unity, not unison, which he goes on to explain. Look what he says in the next few verses, beginning verse 4, because we are one in power. He, he talks here in Ephesians 4 about, I, I called it the seven, the big seven. There are seven ones. We have one body. Well, what is that body? Again, I paused so you could answer the church, the church is the one body. We are one body. I have one body. I don't have two bodies. I have one body. 
But this body is made up of a whole bunch of different parts. Here's the miracle of God, and you can get some evolutionists to explain this to you. All this happened out of one cell. Why did some of them become heart cells, and some of them become eyeball cells, and some of them become hair cells, and some of them? Well, God's got some triggers, and he does that, and we call that kind of DNA, RNA. I don't mean get all scientific and whatnot on you, but that's what's happening. God out of many makes one thing, but yet it's different. My hand has a different function than my foot. My tongue has a different function than my eyes, my ears. You, you get it, right? So we're one body. doesn't mean everybody's got to be the same, but it means we all work toward the same end. If my body didn't work in unity, I couldn't have eaten that delicious pear this morning that y'all gave us to have at the hospitality house. But my hands were involved as I washed off the skin and opened my pocket knife because I'm a southern boy and <laughs> cut that pear and sat there and ate it and enjoyed it. As my mouth took it in and chewed it up and my tongue tasted it and all the muscles swallowed it down so my body could draw out of it the nutrition it needed and then eliminate what I don't need. One body, many parts, one function. To take care of that in that moment. We are many, yet we have one purpose. We'll be coming to that in just a minute. One body. Not only one body. One spirit. You think the Holy Spirit tells one person one thing and another person another? That are opposite ideas and, and conflict with each other? No. So when we find that, we got to step back and go, okay, one of us didn't hear right because God's not confused, but I am. Right? And so he's calling us to be in one body, to all of us listen to what God the Holy Spirit is saying to us. One hope. I like that word hope. We misuse it probably in our thinking sometimes. Because today when we say hope, we say, well, I hope so. You know, we, we're, I'm hoping that happens. And that means I don't know, but I hope so. Maybe it could. Don't know. But the biblical word for hope is a confident expectation. It's something I know is going to happen. It just hadn't happened yet. And that's why Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things. You see, I know over there God's going to do something. I'm hoping now, meaning I know it's going to happen, and I accept as evidence what God has said that it will happen. That's faith. Living between this prayer and his answer is faith. Hoping... And understanding that he's going to do something. We have one hope. Who is our hope? Is in Jesus. In other words, I hope I'm going to heaven. Did I say that because I don't think I am? No, I know I am. Not because I'm good, not because I preach. That's not good enough. I hope I'm going to heaven because Jesus promised it to me and he's good enough. And I've received what he offered when he died on the cross and he's paid the penalty for my sin. I've received that into my own life. I've said yes to him. I've surrendered my life to him. I've said, yes, Lord, take my sin and give me your righteousness. And so I have hope of heaven, but I also have an eternal hope, a final hope, because the second coming is called the hope, right? What does that mean? We know he's coming back, and when we see him, whether, I, by the way, Jesus is coming back in your lifetime, whether you go see him or he comes to get you. 
Some people at church have been playing hide and seek with God, and he's about to say, ready or not, here I come. <laughs> and that may be death. You better be ready. I have a hope. I'm going there, and when I am translated into heaven, when I am changed from living here to living there, my salvation will be fully realized. I was saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. Right? We have one hope. And that's the hope. And it's wrapped up in Christ because he came and died for us and rose again. We have that hope. Not only that, we have one Lord, Jesus. We have one faith, the gospel. This morning in my Sunday school class that I attended, we, they're studying Jude about, it says, contend earnestly for the faith. What's that faith? That Jesus alone is good enough for salvation. Are you telling me that Jewish rabbis don't go to heaven? Yep. Unless they accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Are you telling me good Buddhists don't go to heaven? Yep. Unless they give up that false teaching and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, Jehovah Witnesses believe in Jesus. Yeah, but not the Jesus of the Bible. Mormons believe in Jesus, but not the Jesus of the Bible. It's one faith. And Paul said... In the book of Galatians, if I or an angel from God tells you anything different than the gospel that we've already proclaimed, let him be accursed. And we have to stick to what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to, a fa- to the Father except through me. There's one baptism. What does that symbolize? Well, it symbolizes entry into the family of God, doesn't it? Isn't that the symbol of baptism? Yes? No? Y'all got to interact, brothers. All right, yes, it is, but it signifies a death, burial, and resurrection, right? That's why we do it that way. It's important. That's the Greek word. means to immerse. And so as Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, so we too die and are buried and rise again. There's one baptism, and when he uses this word here, he's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about spiritual baptism, that I am baptized in the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. We become part of the same body as the Spirit brings us in. He fills us. He covers us. We are immersed into God, and he takes over all of us and puts us into that body. There's one baptism into the faith. And it's not I work my way in, I earn my way in, or I pay my way in. It is I come in by faith in what Jesus did by the power of the Holy Spirit in my own life. One baptism, a spiritual baptism. But then he says the big one here. I call it the big one. He says, And one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And there's the point. There is the point. There's a unity of power. The source of the power is in God himself. The source of the power is not in our Baptist doctrines. The source of the power is not in this building. It's not in the people. The source of our power is in God. And so we need to cultivate a relationship with him and do our part in that because he's reaching out to us so that the power of God would flow in us because look at who God is. These are three Greek prepositions. You can understand every Greek preposition if you just draw a box and every Greek preposition can relate to that box. And these three words are over it. He's above it. In it, it means he's in the box. And through it, it means he's done all... uh, All there is with it, he is the reason it exists. He is over it. He's in it. He's through it. He's everywhere. 
Not, it's not a, a, a pantheism. It's not a God is in, in the trees and in the crocodiles, but the fingerprint of God is everywhere. Because he made it all. He rules over it all. He is in it all. He is through it all. And, and he is over it all. And then, as we say, we get to call him daddy. We get to call him father. And so we are united in our portion that we are one body, but we're also united in the power of God because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And so we are together in that. We have a unity of power, which is the same source. And it, here's a problem sometimes we have with the word grace. We use that word grace and we stop at salvation. We think grace is just the power of God to save me because we made up a little acronym, right? It's, it's God's riches at Christ's... Right. I want to give you another one with the same letters. It's God's righteousness at Christ's enabling. You see, grace did more than save me. It gives me the daily power to act and look like Jesus. You see? You with me? So we have to be identified with Christ in that baptism in two ways we're identified with Christ. In his death and in his resurrection. I'm dead to my sin, but I'm alive to his righteousness. I'm dead to who I used to be. If any man be in Christ, he is a brand new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. That he crucified, Colossians, the old self. And we rise in Romans 6, we rise to walk in the newness of life. And so God's grace flows through us, not only to save us, but to enable us to live out that godly life. So what is our purpose? Wow. Verse 11 through 16, and there is a lot there. And like I said, I, I don't have time to go through it all, but I want you to look. Notice verse 12, even though it starts in verse 11. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Look at verse 12. To equip the saints... For the work of the ministry, for the building of the body of Christ. You ask most people, why did God give apostles and prophets? And we'll define that when we come back through it. Why did he give that? They say, for the work of the ministry. No, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. You can't hire me to do all the work that needs to be done in this church. You can't hire all the pastors in this church to do the work that needs to be done. The body does the work. Right? Like I said, if one part of your body doesn't cooperate with the rest, you're not going to get things done as effectively, efficiently as you should, and some things you might not even be able to do. So Christ has called the body to work together. And he's given some to equip the saints for that work. So as pastors and leaders, and, and any leader in the church, your job is to help equip the saints, train the saints to do the work. I love military stuff. Can you imagine me going down to to an air base and they've got a, you know, at, at where we're coming from, the largest military base in the world is there, Oceana Air Base. And if you go down to Virginia Beach, you'll have F-18 Hornets flying around all the time. And every few years they start complaining, ah, the noise, can't stand the noise. They got a sign that says that noise you hear is the sound of freedom. Can you imagine I go down there to Oceana, and I know one of the pilots. I don't know one of the pilots, but I know one of the pilots. And they call him Trigger. I don't know why. I just made that up. <laughs> Trigger says, hey, come look at my plane. Man, it's awesome. You want to sit in the seat? Sure. And I get in that multi-million dollar aircraft, 
Hey, man, what's that button? Don't touch that. You'll blow us all up, you know? And I'm looking at all these dials and all these things and all these cool things on there. If he handed me the keys to cut that thing on, everybody's in trouble. Because I'm not equipped to handle it. He is, but I'm not. Now, if I join the military and I'm supposed to fly that plane and he's my teacher, he has to equip me to fly that plane. When people are born into the family of God, into the church, it is our job to equip them to handle the power and the unity that is flowing through the Holy Spirit in this place to be their part of the body, whatever that is. Listen, it takes the grace of God to do everything that needs to be done here. You don't think it takes the grace of God to clean up the bathroom? Well, then volunteer to do it this week. And you'll learn real quick. It's a very necessary thing. Because all whoever cleans it has to do is not clean it one week, and y'all going to be mad. And so we do all things as unto the glory of God. And it takes the grace of God to do it. And so we all find our place in the body. That we serve and we work together. Because we have a unity of purpose to grow into the maturity. Look at verse 13. And I'm going to skip 14 come back to verse 15. Look what it says. In verse uh, 13. That we all, until we all attain to the unity of faith. and to no, There's that word. Unity and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is the result? We're not like children. We don't get all confused when somebody throws something weird at us. But look at verse 15. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We're to grow up to look like Jesus. That is the purpose of the church. We share in the spirit of God. We share in the unity of one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's in all and through all and above all. And now we work together until the church is mature in Christ. We take this so much as an individual, well, I need to grow up to be like Christ. The church needs to grow up to reflect Christ. Because we're one body and we all have to mature into that Looking like Jesus. And so again, we come back and we're identified with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. We're dead to what we used to be. You see, Calvary Baptist Church doesn't exist to fit what your idea of what Calvary ought to look like. Say, man, this is your first Sunday. You be careful. We can (laughs) send you away. Yeah, you could. Calvary doesn't exist to look like what you think it ought to look like. Look like It exists to look like what Jesus wants it to look like. And so we all are together to look like Jesus. And when I don't look like Jesus, it's your job to go, Hey, pastor, got a little edge there. You need sand it off because I don't quite look like Jesus. I asked a famous sculptor one time how he sculpted such a beautiful statue of a man. He said, oh, I take a big old piece of marble and I knock off everything. Doesn't look like a man. God's trying to make us look like Jesus. And what he does, he knocks off everything that doesn't look like him. That's why we go through some tough circumstances sometimes. To help sand off the parts that don't quite look like Jesus. 
till we come together to a maturity in him. You follow me? Y'all with me? Y'all stuck with me to the end? Amen. Well, here's a couple of things I would suggest you could do this week. First of all, get your relationship with other people right. Start at home. You may be in, in war with your spouse or your children or your parents. Humble yourself. Get right with each other. Maybe there's somebody in the church. Guess what? That's your brother or your sister. You're part of the same body. And if you're at war with each other, then God can't do what he wants to do. And so we have to learn what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is letting go of the revenge that is rightfully mine. You can be right, but if you maintain your rightness, you can be wrong. You with me? If you demand to be right, you can be wrong. But you give that up to say, you know what? I'm going to let God be your judge because God's my judge and I'm not smart as him. And I don't know everything about you because only God can know that. So I'm going to leave you up to God. And on my part, I'm going to say I want to love you anyway. And so I would just encourage you this week to get relationships with others right. And we always got to start at home. You might need to start with yourself and God. That's the first relationship you got to get right. Okay? Then seek God with a whole heart in prayer and scripture. I mean, listen, this is where we get our orders from God about what we're supposed to be doing, right? So we all together need to seek God. And an amazing thing happens when we do that. We all kind of come to a unity about what we ought to be doing. And so I want to encourage us to do that. And thirdly, decide one way you could contribute to Calvary growing together, maturity and community. What can you contribute to Calvary Baptist Church, because that's where you are. What does God want you to do to help bring maturity and unity and effectiveness to Calvary Baptist Church? This is your body. This is your home. This is where God has placed you. And so, I'm not saying we shouldn't bless other people and outside of here, but friend, we, we got we to get this right too, right? We got to get this right first. So where does God want you working here? You say, well, I know what I could do, but they won't let me. Well, Don't be like that. God will open the doors if you seek him as we move forward. Amen? And so I I pledge to you, I, I want to strive to look like Jesus. And I want to strive to help you look like Jesus. And I hope that you want to strive to help me look like Jesus. And together we will bless the Father in this world, in this community where God has placed us. Uh, The first week I was here, you know, we got hit by that snow and ice we didn't quite expect. And somebody made a comment to us as they were, Pastor Mike picked us up at the hotel and we slid downhill. It was fun. But somebody that weekend driving us around said, you can't get to the church without going uphill. And everybody's going, yeah, that's right, that's right. So God has set us on a hill, huh? And that's why we have a lighthouse, right, as our symbol. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? How does the moon shine? Not moonshine. Don't you rednecks get, get excited. Sounds like, pastor's talking about moonshine in church. Hallelujah. No, we still use welches for communion around here. So. What makes the moon shine? But the moon's made out of reflective material. And God has made us to reflect the glory of God into this world. We're not the source of the light. We're the reflectors of the light. 
And so as you go out into a dark world, reflect Jesus.